Hello, my name is Liv Downing and you have joined me on the You Are Loved podcast. You Are Loved is the title of my forthcoming children's book due to be released in 2021. And in this book, I explore the possibility that love is actually always available to us. And that maybe, just maybe, we don't actually have to rely on external sources of love or other people to feel a sense of true belonging. As you may know, research tells us that a sense of belonging or a deep sense of connection is really essential for us humans to thrive. And in this series of podcasts, I want to learn more about why that is and how we can all get more of it to nourish both ourselves, our kids and our beautifully broken world. It's my deep hope that through these conversations, it's together we can learn more about creating a more loving and wiser world. Welcome to the You Are Loved podcast. Today, we're joined by Caroline Weinstein. She's a clinical psychologist. And Kaz and I went to uni together, which you'll hear later on in the podcast. And I have always admired her work so much in the clinical space because while I flitted between the clinical, the corporate and the well-being sectors, she has really stuck within the clinical space, which is why I wanted to learn from her and to hear about the trends she's seeing when it comes to connection and mental health. In our chat, we cover a range of topics and how mainly around how we can look after ourselves and each other during this rather stressful time of COVID-19. We dive really deeply into how it's okay to feel uncomfortable and that us humans, you know, we're not supposed to be happy or comfortable all the time. And Kaz shares with us some tips around how we can support our kids to develop their capacity to sit with discomfort. We talk about how we can support our children to ride the waves of adolescence and really prepare them for adulthood and how we as adults can create these islands of sanity for ourselves as more and more of us are working from home during this time. Kaz also shares some eternal wisdom from Billy Ray Cyrus, so can't wait for you to hear that. And listen to how lovely and humble she is when I ask her at the end of the podcast for how you can find out more about her work. She wasn't ready for that question at all. So I hope you enjoy the session today and um, I look forward to hearing your feedback either through ratings, comments or emails and check out the Live Mindfully website for more blogs and information around connection. So welcome everybody. Um, I would love to introduce to you my dear friend and mentor, Caroline Weinstein. Oh, I know. Thank so, you. Yeah, mentor. Kaz, that's lovely. What a compliment. Has you know, I've really always oh. looked up to you with your clinical expertise and experience and, um, and, you know, we went to uni together and I always figured that you were a very smart chick. I might hang out with you and maybe it would run <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I thought I'd hang out with you and I grew tall and that might rub off, but yeah, that's exactly. didn't work. No, it didn't work. It didn't work. That's okay. We are who we are and now we're okay with that. Correct. So, so I really, I'm super excited to share uh, some of your wisdom with the audience today because, you know, you've got experience within the clinical space. And um, so, you know, just welcome. Welcome to the You Are Loved podcast. And, and as you know, Thank you. 
of this podcast is to really enlighten and inspire and educate around the healing benefits of true connection. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm really keen to learn more from you about um, the work that you do and, and some of the things that you're coming across in the space of, of connection and mental health. So yeah. to get started, I would love to just hear a little bit about you and how you came to be doing the work you're doing. What a long story. Um, how did I come to do this? Well, I started with you way back when, um, studying psychology and studying psychophysiology. So I always had a fascination with connection, but neural connection in the brain always fascinated me. So that's where I started. And then, um, and then you know, using connection, I think, is a really nice basis for our talk, then looking at the connection through other parts of um, the system and I studied yoga way back when a couple of decades ago and looking at then the connection between not only the clinical systems and um, the physical body but more the emotional um, system and the spiritual system and uniting that and that's what um, yoga is really about and then kind of bringing them all together through a master's in counseling psychology and then um, clinical psychology and really uniting it all together and I've always practiced very eclectically in bringing all of those facets together in um, I've been really lucky to practice in lots of different arenas that have ranged from um, well with adolescents always I started with adolescents and still continue to work in that area and in the forensic space and community mental health and um, now I still work in an adolescent mental health um, facility and also in a private practice that I've run for quite some time with adult and adolescent clients and I've worked in corporate areas teaching yoga um, not so much as a psychologist and um, yeah bits and pieces all around so um, I think that I've led a pretty eclectic um, life in the psychology space which has been amazing because um, you know I'm lucky every day is different you go to work and you meet a human being and it's never the same it's never the same session it's never the same day so it's a pretty lucky very very lucky job to have mm, that thank you for saying that that actually brought me to my next question which is mm. you've you've stayed in you know a pretty consistent um, I guess career path always within the clinical space always within the mental health space obviously yoga was a key part what has what's kept you there what's kept you engaged in in that specific area for you know 20 plus years now um I think Liv for me uh, working one-on-one -on -one with people has been like it's a gift it's, it's such a privilege to be let into someone's world and their story to be privy to that when sometimes no one else in the world has been is just a gift and so um having been allowed to do that it's like I couldn't imagine doing anything else like it's mm. so unbelievably rewarding that I, I really couldn't imagine doing anything else and you know every day really is very differently and I think about all the different people that I've met over the years and had the privilege of working with and it's not just my clients but colleagues as well and the mentors that I have had and the teachers I've had along the way and people who have exposed me to you know, other, um, you know, even just books and journals and workshops and the things that I've been um, privy to, I just think that it's just been lifelong learning and more learning. And so I've never yearned for, for a change. I've never yearned and thought that I'm really bored and not challenged because, you know, it's just different all the time. There's always more to look at and more research and, um, you know, different people coming through the doors. And so um, 
I always feel fulfilled. I've been unbelievably lucky that I feel very, very fulfilled and continue to feel fulfilled. And so I can't actually see myself doing anything else. And I've said that um, over the years and I say, you know, what else would I do if I weren't doing this? And I'm not quite sure what that would be. You are so lucky to have found that. And, you know, I was reading an article recently and the conclusion was that as human beings, there are two things that we yearn for. And one is a clarity of our purpose and what we Mm -hmm. want to do. And the second one is a sense of belonging and to be loved. Mm -hmm. And it really sounds as though you've got the first one nailed. So that, that, um, you know, that purpose has been really clear for you, which brings us to the second, the second yearning for humans, which is around connection. And I guess your career has provided you with some of that connection. Yeah. And I'm keen to hear a little bit about what does connection mean for you within the clinical space? Mm. Well, you know, connection is, uh, it's, it's so important, Liv. You know, we, we're born into this world and, you know, the infant yearns for connection from the, from the moment it's born. I mean, it's neurologically wired to connect to others. Um, you know, and we learn through developmental psych about attachment theory and attachment theory about the infant starting to attach to primary caregivers is all about connection. And we look at relationships throughout the lifespan and, um, and patterns of relationships and, and attachment style and we look at where things have gone awry and how can we fix them and um, we're looking at connections and where there's been ruptures in connections so it's all about connections human to human but we also look um, very much in every clinical psychologist who's trained in CBT as you are as well um, and what are we looking at we're looking at connections between thoughts and feelings and actions you know in relation to our environments and events so Everything is about connection. You're nothing in isolation. Mm. Um, and I guess in this current climate that we find ourselves in at the moment where we have been physically isolated from each other and this physical disconnection that we've had at the moment has had some unbelievably detrimental effects on mental health. And we've seen that, um, you know, in the media, we've seen more money given to Medicare. Medicare is saying we're now going to allow telehealth and we're going to give more money um, into the system to allow for more people because we can see that you know they need to access mental health services more and why because they're disconnected mm. um, so it's, it's so evident now at the moment um, how important it is to not only um, you know have connection internally to our internal space but physically as well to others and just all of those interactions I think I've realized personally those interactions that we have and connections during the day that we may not have realised we're so meaningful, the person at the train station that you just wave to every or say hi to every morning simply because they're on your train mm. or the person that you walk past in your office and you say hi because they sit next to the photocopier and all of a sudden you take that away and we're feeling very lonely. Mm. It's so true. That is such mm. a great point. You know, I went yeah. for a walk this morning along the beach with my husband and I walk the beach every morning and usually I do it alone and I've built up a lovely relationship with several other people who walk along the beach. Yeah. It's a non-verbal relationship. It's a wave and a smile, but it is, there is something really deeply nourishing about that wave and smile. Isn't there? Yeah, there really is. And it's, it's, yeah. it is, it's non-verbal. It's an energetic thing. And, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, I, I'm, I'm really interested to hear about what you're seeing within your practice. What kind of stories are you hearing or what kind of themes are you seeing in this, I guess, around loneliness, which we know has been at, at epidemic proportions globally for mm. a while. But I, my sense is, and, you know, this is your area of expertise, but my sense is that's only going to get greater, this sense of loneliness and, um, you mm. know, within the, the broader population. Is, is, what what kind yeah. of are you seeing specifically within your population? Well, we're seeing. Um, well, me personally, I'm I'm seeing. You know, it's interesting. I'm seeing a range of responses um, to to this pandemic at the moment. I'm seeing those very introverted individuals who are actually relishing this. I don't have to go out and be in the world, um, and so they're actually thriving on this. I can stay at home and not have to engage. Um, that's one small small pocket. Um, there was those that in the beginning, you know, were struggling to adapt and, and have adapted to this new norm of, okay, now where I live is where I work, is where I play, is where I rest, is where I actually have to do everything, which um, was a very big adaptation. And then they finally adapted. Now we've, some have had to adapt to having to go back a little bit. And that's been really tricky is the going back and how do I now start to go back and now I've pulled back a little bit again and other and people have found that actually really hard. It's like, hang on, are we going back again? And mm. just this state of inconsistency and sitting with uncertainty as human beings, we don't like it. It causes great anxiety. Mm. Um, and so there's a lot of fear um, and there's a lot of discomfort with sitting with this uncertainty and the loneliness is real because we live very individualistic lives, unfortunately, in Western society. We don't we don't live with extended family members and we often live in buildings where we don't know our neighbours, um, we don't know the people down the street, we often don't um, speak to people in our sh little shopping strips because we order our groceries online, food online, and so we're really missing all of those connections and it's, um, you know, and we're very, we're lonely and we're not getting those connections at work because we're working online from home and so it's really very, very challenging at the moment and so, um, yeah, we're certainly seeing, um, I'm certainly seeing clients who are desperate to come in for face-to-face -face sessions. So I've been working face-to-face -face as much as I possibly can throughout this simply because my clients and myself too, like we were desperate to see each other mm. um, rather than over a screen. And I know we're, we're doing it safely. Like if anyone's unwell, et cetera, we're not seeing each other. But for those that can and want to come in, they're coming in. And a lot of them are so grateful that they can come in safely and sit in a space with another human being because that level of connection as you said energetically mm. you just can't get over zoom and I, I mean, i'm very grateful for telehealth but there is that connection that happens um when you're sitting in a space together mm. um, that you just you can't replicate yeah you're so right so there's a couple yeah. of points i wanted to pick up in in what you've just said so many great points in there so one of them was around boundaries and spaces mm. and and how you know during this time it's been really hard because we've been eating breathing working living chatting mm. dancing all in the same place yeah. um have a couple of questions around that how do you think that's a how do you think that's impacted people's mental health and mm. b how do you think we'll be able to reintegrate back into somewhere between how it was pre-covid and how it is now um yes yeah, so um what 
we have been speaking about my clients and I a lot is how to try just to find if you can just pockets of places where you can do things a little bit differently and if it's not a physical space where you can sit here and work and sit there and eat then it's even just when you eat you pack the work stuff up you put it away the space becomes now this is where I eat um, you know you just designate times and spaces um, for particular things so that it doesn't all become um, you know, the one place where you're meant to be resting, but hang on, this is where I work and this is where I age. Mm. Um, routines is a really big one that, that we've been talking about a lot. And I've been saying to um, my clients around finding routines for yourself. So finding anchors throughout your day, because they were feeling very lost without the anchors, the anchors of getting up at seven, going for a walk, getting back, having a shower, jumping on the, the you know, the eight o'clock train, getting to work at this time they had routines and anchors that had anchored them for many years and all of a sudden yeah. they were gone. I could sleep till whenever, I could get up from whenever. Yeah. Um, and so we spoke about needing routine and anchors throughout the day, splitting it up with exercise and, and, um, and rest and relaxation in between. Um, so I speak a lot about anchors. I don't know, that word works for me, so I tend to use it a lot. No, I um, it. It's great. I haven't yeah. heard in that context. Obviously, from a mindfulness perspective, we talk yes. about anchoring to Stopping the present an anchor, moment. Yes. Yeah, but I love mm. that way that you're creating, you can create those anchors throughout the day, kind of those touch points, I guess. Yeah, yeah. That's what, that's what I've been talking about a lot with my clients. Mm. Um, and this... And I keep, you know, saying to them, like, how when when it goes back to normal, and I keep saying to them, we don't go backwards ever in life. We're not going back to the normal. We're moving to a new normal. Nothing goes backwards in life. As uncomfortable as that feels, it just isn't. It's not going to be what it was. Um, you know, not not. I don't believe it will be that we're going to do things differently now. We're going to. Um, you know, respond differently to things. We're going to work differently. Our workspaces are going to look different. We're going to maybe rely more on Zoom rather than travelling to things. Um, you know, it's just going to be done differently. And so I think if we can start to entertain the idea and accept that it's going to be a new normal and that we can't go back and we can let go of that a little bit, I think that's going to help us adapt and keep adapting because this is going to be a really tricky ongoing process. And I... I think in terms of the mental health space, we're not at the tip of it yet. And um, I think that it's, um, it's only going to, that wave is only going to keep moving and there'll be another wave. To, you know, and we're talking waves a lot at the moment. And I tend to use waves. I talk about waves a lot in my practice as well. Um, that we're going to see more waves of, of um, issues around mental health um, problems because we haven't seen um, things like, um, the unemployment benefit change again, which it will, and we haven't seen the peak of unemployment yet, and the real financial um, costs haven't really come in yet until we get to September and things will change again and we might see businesses start to close their doors. And so I think that it's all still we're in this kind of holding pattern, yeah. which is very, very uncomfortable. It is. It's really uncomfortable. Mm. A couple of things that you said there that I think is really valuable for us just to kind of underline, which is around being conscious of everything that's happening. So bringing that clear mm. seeing awareness. Another thing you yeah. talked about is acceptance. And, you know, and I think the third, the third thing you've touched on there is that, 
that uncertainty and as you said mm. the waves you know can we flow with the waves rather mm. than getting stuck on this is the way it is i guess it, it kind of reminds me of remember when we were new parents and we 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 think we'd nailed one oh. you know, one milestone it's like yes this is what they do they sleep for two hours here or would yeah. they eat and then all of a sudden within disaster. three days it's changed <laughs> disaster it's <laughs> what i tell my new parent class okay don't get stuck on this it's only going to last three right. seconds <laughs> enjoy it, it like it's fabulous for now but trust me by next week it'll be yeah. different yeah. yeah and it really reminds me of one of the core teachings around everything changes you oh, know yeah. yes and that's a really great thing for us to remember through this time and forever um you know oh, yeah everything changes and i think we we as humans we create this illusion of solidity um, and, you know, um, yeah. COVID's taught us so much about that, those waves of change. And, you know, every week there's a new, or every day there's a new number of people it's, you have in your house or toilet paper going out the door or whatever. It's, everything's always changing. It's, you know, I, I read a, a quote recently, but interestingly, and don't laugh at me, Liz, Billy Ray Cyrus, you know, the country right. singer. Yeah. <laughs> and he had said, um, and, I, and I actually love it. And I think, mm. oh my goodness, I think I really admire this man now. Um, he said, and I keep quoting him, life is just a series of adaptations, you know, just mm. adapting to the next thing. And I'm like, yeah. no, he, life is a series of adjustments, he said. Yeah. That's right. Life is, and I'm like, oh my God, the man's a genius, actually. <laughs> and I thought it's that so is true. just what it is. It's just a series of another adjustment and then that whether it be um to an event whether it be to an ill like whatever it is it's just exactly Mm. what it is and the minute as you said we think we've nailed it it's like no don't get so cocky because you know what it's going to change again Um, and isn't it true within a clinical sense there's actually a disorder called adjustment disorder where it absolutely is and i said i actually have said recently um quite a few times that i think Every single person who um, may go to their GP at the moment to say, look, I'm really, I'm, I'm struggling at the moment, would actually meet clinical criteria for what we call an adjustment disorder, which is struggling <laughs> with a serious, you know, um, adjustment in their life. Like, I think we would all make criteria yeah. for yeah. it. So maybe it's um, just being human. We're all a little bit adjusted. And that's what I think that... It, <laughs> A hundred percent of this is just being human because if you had no response to this, which I think is impossible at the moment, yeah. I would be really concerned. You know, my colleague said to me the other day, I was, um, I was at work and she's, um, she said to me, she said, Cassie, how, you, how are you? And, and I said to her, you know what, actually, I'm feeling really uncomfortable I don't know how to describe how I'm feeling at the moment in life other than really uncomfortable. And she said to me, you know what? Actually, I think that's how I feel as well. I said, I don't know how else to explain it or describe it. And I think to to anyone else in my life, I said that, they'd be like, oh, you're weird. But at least to her, she was like, I get it. Just Absolutely. uncomfortable, really uncomfortable. Well, everything mm. that we've taken as normal and typical and predictable has, has been pulled out from under us. So, you know, very much so. that discomfort for sure. Very, very. And as human beings, we don't sit very well with discomfort. Mm. When we feel distress and discomfort, what we often see is patterns of avoidance. Yeah. Um, you know, we feel anxious about something we avoid. The socially anxious person just doesn't go out for things. Oh, no, I don't want to go to this. I don't go, go to that. Or we drink or we smoke. or We, yeah. we, we avoid distress. You know, that's what we do. And so, so I do true. a lot of distress tolerance skills and learning to sit with discomfort and yeah. not run from it. And I know mindfulness teaches is to be 
present to it, accept it. Hello, there you are, high pain. I can't run from you. Yeah. Now, this this time in our lives, my goodness, isn't it? You know, the world just saying to us, you know what? We're going to all have to learn to sit with this because there's nowhere in the world you can run. There's no way you can run from this. It's so interesting you should say that. Several times yeah. throughout COVID, I had the automatic thought, I just want to get on a plane and go somewhere. But of yeah, course, that's aware. my natural tendency. But of course, we can't. So it's been no. so interesting to really have to sit with that discomfort. Discomfort, and isn't it? Yeah. Because like yeah. there just is nowhere. No, there's nowhere. No, and so that nowhere. brings me to a question that I really want to ask you around your adolescence you work with. Um, mm in the work that I do within schools and obviously also within my own kids and their peer group, I notice, and also some of the research that kids these days perhaps don't necessarily have that capacity to sit with discomfort because as parents mm. and maybe as society um, in a broader context, we've been really quick to give them what they need or we think, you know, to take away their pain. I just wonder yeah. what you're seeing, whether, whether you agree with that, first of all, and whether you're seeing that play itself out within adolescence. Absolutely. I just, it's funny. I had this discussion with my husband yesterday who just read a very interesting article that I'm not even going to try to quote because I haven't read it yet. Um, but it was about, because um, he's an excellent psychologist that isn't a psychologist. <laughs> and because um, you know him, Liv, so you know. And he, um, he read this wonderful article that spoke about um, parents struggling to sit with the distress of the distressed child and the anxious child and it's not so much about the child but it's about we need to treat the parents now I was always taught and I I'm pretty sure we were taught this at uni so I think you were taught with me that when we deal with children we don't deal with the child we're dealing with the parents really the kids are there as a bit of an adjunct in the therapy but really you're dealing with the parents yeah um and I absolutely agree. I think with, with um, a lot of adolescents that I see, they're used to um, very quick fixes because their brains have been wired in a particular way just because of the world that they live in is that things are acquired quickly. Yep. It's a click of a this, it's a flick of a that, it's things you get, you want it, you get it there. And so for them to be able to, to hear, no, actually, this is a process this is actually something that we're going to have to work on together. It's going to take time. They're like mortified. They're like, what are you talking about? Like, this is like, where's the, where's the quick fix? Like, where's the switch? Where's the, come on. Um, which is brilliant, which is why having them in therapy is like so awesome because it's, it's the complete opposite to the rest of their lives. Um, and as parents, I think, and me included, I, I, as I say to everyone, I am a flawed parent of adolescents. I, I, I can sit here and I can say to parents, try this and do this and whatever and I walk out the door and I am a floor parent like everyone else and I get it wrong and my kids don't believe that anyone will listen to me and I can't imagine that any adolescents would want to talk to me because I'm just a flawed human like everyone else you're just um, a human you're just, a, just a, a beautiful human. complicated human like the rest of us a hundred percent and you know I can step into other people's families as the observer that's the very easy role the harder yeah. role is to be in that family so absolutely um so much harder and and you know I think that as parents we don't want to see our kids distressed it's heartbreaking and if we have the tools to fix it well why wouldn't we want to that just is our very deep innate maternal paternal you know um, desire to fix and to to solve mm. and the hardest part is for us to sit with our distress yeah. of them in their distress so abs yeah absolutely as parents it's excruciating mm. 
So and this what, article that, that Jezza was reading was all about that. I must read it and I'll pass it on to you. Oh, said thank you. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of things can we be doing? And this is you putting on your, you know, your expert hat, I guess, taking the observer role for us other parents out there. What kind of things can we be doing to support our kids to sit with that distress? And I guess it all comes back into connecting with themselves mm. and helping them build that resilience internally. Um, you know, what kind of things can we be doing with our, with our young people? I think that, I think the best thing is to validate, mm. to validate that every feeling is just a feeling. It is, it is valid. It has a place that, um, you know, adolescence is hard. It's pretty awful um, on so many levels, emotionally, physically, um, academically. Like it is, it's really the most shocking time if you look at it and what we expect of these young people during that time, what we put them through when they're going through hormonal surges and physical changes and, um, and we expect them to sit tests at school every five seconds. Like it's just, it's a lot for these poor kids. And I think the best thing we can do is to validate. Mm. to validate that it's unbelievably tricky to validate that it's okay to feel like this and to really struggle socially at times and to, you know that you will find your clan at some point and that um you know you can try things out and not be okay at some things and that's okay and be a bit different to others i feel that is the best that we can do yeah that's, that for me I, I really think um that that is like baseline the best thing we can do all the other stuff i think um you know, it's toppings to introduce them to this, you know, sports and, and extracurricular act things is great. But to have that validation, I think is so important. Yeah. And I guess yeah. that then becomes a skill that they can internalise within themselves. So they'd look to us as their primary caregiver or carer mm -hmm. um, while they're growing up. And then once they're adults, you know, they can learn to self-soothe in that way. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you if you know that, okay, what I'm feeling is okay and I don't have to run for it. I'm not running for the whiskey bottle and I'm not running and I'm okay to feel like this and I don't have to jump in and do what everyone else is doing, you know, that peer group pressure because I'm feeling like this. I can, it's okay to feel like this. I can feel like that and that's okay. Mm. Um, that's why I think it's so important. And look, they're going to fall off and, and um, experiment with this and experiment with that. We have to kind of expect that as parents. That's the other thing mm. is that um, we have to expect they're going to experiment. We're going to have to expect that that's going to happen and that they're going to do things and we're going to have to go, oh, my goodness, like, oh, God, because that's what adolescence is about. They need yeah. to experiment. They need to learn through experimentation they, their frontal lobe in their brain isn't developed like an adult brain. They don't have consequential thinking really in place yet. They don't have inhibition that's going to stop them. And as much as we've got to teach them, you know, that's really risky and dangerous, we also have to give them a little bit of leeway to have a go to fall down, to dust themselves off and to get back up again. I think our society tries to do a lot of helicopter parenting. Yeah. Um, and they And these kids really have to go out and graze their knees and get up and have another go and... Um, you know, I see a lot of helicopter parenting and I, I think it's stunting them, unfortunately. Mm. It's really interesting. You should, you should say that. I mean, I, I was reading a book recently and this parenting expert talks about how um, we need to allow our kids to feel held and free. Mm -hmm. 
yeah if i reflect on my childhood i was definitely held you know i was definitely loved within an inch of my life but i don't mm. think freedom was there i think i was very cotton wooled and i right. don't think that served me well and uh-huh. I, you know, I think, you know, I'm, I try to be conscious in the way I parent my kids is, is really trying to find that balance. And that's exactly what you're saying. It's, you know, we mm. want them to feel validated and safe and connected and they belong, but we also need to give them that freedom to fall mm. down and see how they are and, and to learn to trust themselves. And that's secure attachment, you know, in that Bowlby, um, you know, mm. um, attachment style that's that you know that's when you know you've got that secure attachment i can come back and you'll love me and you'll validate me but i can go out and venture into the world because i have the confidence to be able to do that Mm. and come back um and if we can find that balance then absolutely but it is tricky because especially at the moment i think that we've had um the fear of god put into us in our society at the moment because there's a pandemic but there's been there's so much fear yeah um just in the air you know you can feel it it's just um you know that you go back six months there wasn't as much fear that you can feel in the air that there is now Mm. and i think um i think that's a concern in terms of level of anxiety and that there it's it's in the air Mm. i'm really interested that you brought that up because um Mm. i was wondering whether you had some thoughts about what do you think is coming next you know you've talked Mm. about about the fear levels and that anxiety and and i know from my study and also from my own experience of life that that if i spend too long being anxious i then crash and i you know i kind of burn out and i'm wondering if that's what you're anticipating anticipating we might see on a bigger level on a on a you know a societal level i i'm i'm wondering that as well Liv, because if you know, when the when that primitive part of the brain kicks in and that flight or fight that keeps us in that hypervigilant state and that's what exhausts us. Um, and, that, you know, that we've been tapped on with, you know, that fear response now for a few months and it's going to continue. Like, I think we're very fearful about the economic state and we're fearful now about health and cases have gone up again. And I I, I wonder about that and I wonder about, and this is maybe the mental health crash that we're all concerned about, is, um, is that going to happen? Um, and look, it, it very well may. I'm, I'm reluctant to make predictions because, you know, we may have predictions about 80,000 people getting infected and that didn't happen. <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I just, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I think that... You're curious. I'm very curious. I certainly think that there has been um, there's been a lot of mental health you know issues that have, have arisen. How many of those people have actually sought um, help through, let's say, the Medicare system or um, you know through um, you know life coaches or counsellors or kinesiologists or other health allied health? I, it'll be really interesting to see, and I guess that data will come out. Um, at some point, it'll be very interesting to see Lifeline and Beyond Blue. I know they've had a, a real surge in calls. Um, so it certainly has has surged. Um, it will be interesting to see the long-term effects, to see studies over the long-term, to see what actually happens. I'm very interested to see around um, things with OCD and hand washing and um, phobias around germs. I'm really interested to see this is going to have a long-term effect on rates of OCD because in the population it generally isn't that high to have a full-blown 
um, diagnosis of OCD, in particular with hand washing, I, I don't think it's that high from memory. I thought it wouldn't be huge, but I'm wondering because now that's all we're told. Mm. Wash your hands, wash your hands, you know, sanitize, sanitize. Every shop you walk into, sanitize, sanitize. Are we creating now a whole generation of, um, of germaphobes? It's such an interesting question, Kaz, and obviously I, I have no idea what the answer is. Something no. I've noticed is really interesting in my own life is um, just, you know, if we go back to kind of this this connection piece, I don't know how to greet people anymore. No. I don't know if I should be giving them a hug or a kiss or a foot or just an it's eye wink. It's, it really starts off an interaction with a friend or someone, you know, even an acquaintance. I, it that connection's just not there. It's not as easy. So I wonder whether no. that's got to be something that maybe schools need to start thinking about how they can, I don't know. I mean, obviously we're still in pandemic mode, maybe next year, but as a broader society, how can we bring that sense of connection, belonging, presence, embodied um, ability for us to meet someone else? We, we, we almost need to retrain ourselves to do Isn't that it, yeah I'm, I'm actually i'm finding that very very hard interesting you should bring that up because when i'm i made a client for the first time i will always put my hands out so lovely to meet you and especially with an adolescent i make a point of always speaking to them first before their parent and always shake their hand first and um and now I find myself having to say, like straight up, I say, hi, it's so lovely to meet you. I would so love to shake your hand and I'm so sorry that I can't. Mm. I, I feel like I actually have to acknowledge it so I say something because well. I can't let it go past because to me it feels so unnatural to not engage them in putting my hands out. So I actually call it and I say something. Well, because I think I just feel uncomfortable. I think it's probably part of the reason you're an amazing therapist because, oh. you, well, no, because you get it. You get the impact of or the power of the body and the importance of the body in mental health and healing. And you, you get the energetic side of, of mental health as well. And I think, um, you know, from, oh. from my own studies and my mm. own experiences, I just think that's something we really, as mental health professionals, we really need to, take into account if we're going to really treat the whole person and not just their thoughts or not just their beliefs we're really treating the physiology as well so ah yeah um, absolutely and again that's you know that's such a powerful thing to do with with your clients um i'm really interested to um to really i guess drill down a little bit you know we're coming to the end of our time together and i but i'd love to hear maybe just a couple two or three takeaways that you think as um, either as parents as women or just as members of the community we can do to support ourselves and each other in managing our mental health throughout this time and beyond you know you talked about um obviously the interpersonal connection as as one of the key components um the validation piece as as something else is there anything else you'd like to add um, on what we can do to support ourselves and each other um i think it's very very important that we stay connected however we can mm -hmm. um, if you're working at home I think you need to make sure that you have um, anchors throughout your day that make you stop working because if you're working at home, it's very easy to have days that start 
late, you sleep in or you work till, you know, late at night or you don't see sunlight, um, you don't speak to anyone else that you, you intersperse throughout the day, getting outside, getting sunlight, maybe some exercise, talking to your friends and whether it's a quick, you know, FaceTime call or you meet up and you go for a walk or there's that you just try to keep your connections up as much as you possibly can. Um, because it can get unbelievably mundane and very lonely if you don't. And I think it's really, really important that you do. And even if it's a walk down to the shop to buy some milk, do it because mm. you have to talk to someone. Um, don't check yourself out if you go somewhere where you can. Make sure you go through a checkout where you talk to someone, you ask them how their day is going, speak to someone. Um, and in terms of um, other takeaways, there's so many takeaways live at the moment. Um, and you remind yourself that these are really uncertain times that if you are feeling uncomfortable, then you're joining my gang. I'm feeling uncomfortable because <laughs> I am feeling very uncomfortable as well. Um, and that can also feel sometimes like irritability, I would say, and just a general discomfort. And sometimes you can feel quite settled. And it, again, it's waves, it comes, it goes, and it's... And you know what, sometimes it's okay to feel all right in this pandemic as well. Like it's not all doom and gloom and sometimes you're going to feel quite okay and your day goes okay, even if um, there's been so many cases and all sounds bad. It's okay to have a good day too. Um, but that's quite fun because some people are actually doing quite well through this. And um, what other takeaways can I give you, Livy, that, you know, to, to quote my new hero now, Billy Ray Cyrus, you know, life is a series of adjustments. You know, this, yeah. this is my new country Western hero. Um, and I guess it's yeah. just remembering that we belong to each other, that we're all here together and we're, you know, we're, and it, it, I loved your point about really reaching out to other people because, um, you know, for those of us who are conscientious and we just put our head down and bum up and work, 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 it's very easy to forget to get out of the house or pick up the phone yeah. because um, there are no boundaries. So that's a great tip. Thank you so much. Um, and also, you know, the one thing also, Livy, that I've yeah. been thinking about as well, this is the first time, and, you know, in God knows in our lifetime, but in a, in a lot of generations above us as well, where we can say that, um, you know, globally we are all going through something at the same time and that's pretty significant. Mm -hmm. You know, we're talking about real connectedness like that's unbelievable, right? Like all of us, like globally, mm. um, can say we are going through this collectively. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Kaz. Um, thank you, Liv, for having me. No problem. I have really enjoyed our chat and I know our listeners will have got some great wisdom um, out of all of your tips. How can people find out a bit more about your work? Ah, well, they can um, look at our the website of my practice if they would like to. So our practice is called The Talking Cure and our website is thetalkingcure.com.au and we are contactable through there. There's a contact us part where you can email us um, if you would like to. That's probably the easiest way to find me. I also consult at, um, at Headspace. Thank you so much, Caroline, for joining us today. It's been awesome just to hear your tips and your insights into what's happening within both the young people and us older folk, <laughs> um, <laughs> as well as parents, you know, within Australia at this time during this global pandemic. And um, we really appreciate your insights and your wisdom. So thank you so much.